I want to begin by reading our core text today. It comes from John chapter 17. This text is just so rich, but maybe I'll just stop and pray. Let me just pray as well uh, before we even do that. Father, we give this day to you, and uh, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would encounter our hearts and our souls and our lives. Um, Lord, we want you to be working in us, uh, changing us and using us for your honor and your glory. So Lord, as we come to another uh, sermon here today, would you just take it and and, uh, use it for your kingdom? I ask these things now in your son's name. Amen. John chapter 17, kind of the core verses that we've really kind of used as the the subtext all the way through this idea of uh, church matters becoming one. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. He's praying for us that we would be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, and I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. Last week, we focused on how oneness calls us to come together and to worship as a church family. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Don't neglect meeting together, some are the habit of doing, but rather gather together to encourage each other, to worship together. And when we worship together, we're reflecting the community of of God. The relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit, I I think we forget that. And I know that's kind of new stuff maybe for some people. But see, it's not just worship isn't just about giving God glory and honor. It's revealing who God is as we come together and worship together. But there's another aspect of oneness here that I need to go down and address today. And technically, it falls under the umbrella of worship. But it's the main point, if you're following along, you want to use that sermon outline there, I said it this way. The reality of becoming one in a church family assumes we are offering our lives and our possessions back to God for the benefit of other people. See, this phrase, offering of lives, it implies us giving of our energy our time, our monies, toward a body of believers. Now, we've been kind of jumping back and forth between Acts chapter 2 as well, using that text. And I want to put some verses from there up on the screen again because it applies to us even here today. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
See, there, there are numerous, numerous applications for this passage, and one of them where people tend to zero in on is, is selling the possessions and taking care of the poor. And, and it is a very uh, direct application of this passage. But I think if you were to stop and kind of pull away and go, what's the summary of this early church in, the, in this passage here, I would say it this way. They cared for each other with their money with their energy, and with their time. See, they had everything in common. They were working for a common good so that it benefits people. And it was for those that were putting their faith in Jesus. And I think we underestimate the breadth and the depth of caring for each other and how that impacts our church and really how it impacted even that early church. But I I need to give you a a tangible picture here. What does it mean to care? And there's all different kinds of ways to care and to serve each other. And and i got to tell you about an instance that I saw that really demonstrated moving toward oneness and the caring that this speaks to. A, A couple of months ago, I was at Kids Rock on a Wednesday night, and they had they were playing a game, and the game was sticking a ball between their legs, and in the back, they, the chairs were gone in the back, and the, they were having a relay race of going down, jumping, I can't jump anymore and do that, but going down to the line and then coming back. And in that particular race, there was a couple of boys that have special needs, uh, Bryce and Wyatt, they were participating in the game. And they were putting the ball between their legs and hopping down. But the cool thing that happened, it almost brought me to tears. I just remember the picture of it. I was standing right over there. Is that as these guys were were doing this race, the kids back waiting in the group here were cheering them on. They were celebrating what was going on in the lives of those young two young boys. That was encouragement and care, and even kids can do it. Folks, that was demonstrating a kind of oneness in serving one another, in care for each other. These kids were blessing these other children. But let me push you farther here. And I want to use a marriage illustration as an example here. Now, I want to put up a text on the screen. I've used this many times on, when I've performed some weddings. Genesis chapter 2, but it kind of ties in as an illustration here for us today. Look at how it reads. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he bought her to, brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this, is, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother. And is joined to his wife. And then this phrase here. And the two are united into one. This idea the man and a woman come together to be one. To have oneness with each other. Well, how does it apply to us? Let me push it farther. Illustration here. A couple gets married. They go on the honeymoon. And the last night of the honeymoon, the, the husband says, Honey, we've got to have a little bit of a discussion here. 
And he sits down with her and he says, you know what, I I know we signed that, you know, we're officially married, it's documented and been registered with the county, but I just need to tell you that, you know what, from now on, please don't expect me to care for you. You know, we're mature, grown adults. We need to take care of ourselves. See, I just don't have the time, I don't have the energy to really look after your needs and serve you. I got enough going with myself. So please don't expect too much from this relationship. But you know what we will do is that, you know, kind of on a weekly basis, we'll, we'll get together and we'll talk a little bit and see how each other is doing. Now, would you call that a marriage? If that's a marriage, I really wouldn't want that. But here's the connection for churches. Is coming together once a week to sing and hear the word of God spoke, is that the pinnacle of oneness? See, oneness in a marriage cannot exist if there is no mutual care, there's no bond of love with each other, there's no spending time together. Oneness doesn't exist in a marriage without that. And I've worked with a lot of marriages that have been like that. But apply this to the church. Oneness in a church cannot exist if there's no mutual care, no ministry toward each other, no serving each other. See, no oneness will happen unless relationships are built to become one. Even in Acts chapter 2, they ate in each other's homes. Why? They were getting to know one another. It was demonstrating oneness, and they even valued meals together to move together relationally. But here's where i got to push it farther. Uh, For your notes, if you're taking notes, I said it this way, just a reminder. A reminder here. When care and ministry... And serving goes on amongst us. And it's done because of a devotion to Christ. It's worship. It's worship. That first church in Acts, it was their gratitude toward Christ, their new union in Christ, their devotion to Christ that propelled them to look around and see people differently, to see each other's needs. They were responding to the grace of God by worshiping, but by serving each other. Serving the body, serving that church family. See, if our definition of worship is only singing toward God, giving thanks to God, if that's the summary of worship, the definition, that definition of worship really is deeply flawed. See, worship is a response not just in words toward God and music. It's a response of our lives that we become givers. We give. Matter of fact, I came across a quote that I liked this week. It said this, A worshiper is not passive, a motionless recipient, but an active participant called to make an offering. See, do we understand that in 2015? 
You know, over the years, there's a term out there called the worship wars. I don't know if you know that, but it really has been the battle from maybe even the 60s on where what kind of music should we play, worship style, what, you know, should we have in a church? But we need to stop, and when you look back at history, you see that there was a time of worship where music had nothing to do with worship. The earliest forms of worship, was to kill an animal. Not a fish, an animal. Or a grain offering. Or to pour out wine. See, long before there were songs and organs and drum sets, there was an offering, and it was the oldest and the most basic form of worship. It goes all the way back to Cain and Abel. If you remember the passage there, the worship that was given at that point. It was sacrificing something, an animal. Now, I was going to make a cat joke at this point, but but, uh, I'm not sure that I should be doing that here today. But it was to demonstrate devotion and to bring pleasure to God. See, it was much later that prayer was put into the mix of worship, that praise was put in, singing and celebrating. See, see, we need to understand that worship really isn't about what we want or even what we prefer. Those first sacrifices were the first fruits and grain, a calf, a lamb, and they were offering them to God. And it wasn't about the, the people's pleasure. It, it was because God wanted them to do that. It's, and it centers, for us, it centers on the question, does it please God? See, that's where we have to go with worship. But last week we used this term, command performance, if you were here. You can listen online. If you go into the website, there's a link yet to the serving or to the sermons. But this idea that we are singing to God, that God is the audience, and we are to put a command performance on for Him because it's for His pleasure. Well, when you take that farther, we see that even when it comes to serving and offering our time, offering our monies, offering our energy, it's for his pleasure. It's for his purposes. It's really not for us at its basic roots. See, our serving, but when we do serve, we become united together. And it helps us become one. And it helps us to move toward a deeper love for him. And we do that together. Now, but here's where I got to get a bit more technical in this John 17 passage. So I need to turn on a theology faucet just for a second. And I want to put up on the screen verse 22. Look what it says here. The glory that you have given me. He's talking to his father during this prayer. And then he makes this statement, I have given it to them that they may be one even as we are one. Father, I have given them the glory that you have given me. Now, that word glory, it literally means to shed light upon, to reveal, to focus attention on something. 
So as we, for example, as we give glory to God, we're focusing our attention on Him. We're revealing His attributes, His character, His greatness. We're, we're seeing Him as He truly is when we glorify Him. We're attempting to help other people see God as He truly is. But then we have this phrase, and He says, Father, I've given them, which is us, His glory, so that they may be one. You catch the link here between giving us glory and that we would become one. And you kind of, matter of fact, what you find is lots of pastors skip over this phrase and just kind of ignore it um, because it's a very difficult one. But I want to read you, I don't have it on the screen, but earlier from John 17, it, it says this, Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given to me. And then he tells why. Because you love me before the creation of the world. See, glory is related to the love that the Father and the Son has. And so how does that play with us? See, the communing love relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit is a transcendent quality of who God is. So when you use the word God is love, it's literally saying God is relational love. It's just not the thinking about it, that there's a relational of mutual love going on. And then the reason that glory is coming into this is that now we are called to reveal that same love that's happening between the Father and the Son. I understand that's a bit heavier and different. A lot of people haven't even heard of that. But let me try to apply this to serving. And I'm hoping that I can say it right here. But there's a, I want to put a couple statements on the screen because people serve for different reasons. When I use that term serve, when, when pastors stand up and encourage the congregation to serve the body of Christ, the first one that you find, and this is one that was taught, really kind of drilled into me when at a very young age, we are to serve the body of Christ because we're supposed to obey him. Obey him for obedience sake. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's not evil at all. But the motive of this serving comes from the feeling that I am to be dutiful to God. For some people, it's even to pay God back. But let me throw this into a relational context. Think of a husband who wants to serve his wife but it's because of duty. Matter of fact, maybe he read a marriage book before he got married, and they listed a whole bunch of things. This is what you're supposed to do for your wife. And he puts them on his iPhone, and you're supposed to give your wife flowers at her birthday, and then you buy them at the you know, at the um, flower shop, and you, you come on the way home, you click and go, check that one off. And then you walk in the door, oh, you know what? The manual says and my list says that I'm supposed to clean the bathroom floors. I'll go do that. Check. And then I'm supposed to take out the garbage. Check. 
And, and the next morning you get up and, oh, I know, I remember the list, and I'm, I'm supposed to kiss my wife before I go to work today. And you go do that and walk out the door and you pick your iPhone and you check that list, check that off the list as well. See, is that really the motive that God wants us to serve him? You you know, there's husbands, by the way, who try to love their wives like this. I've known some. And the hard part, when you you talk to a wife and they're sitting there, do you really want to be loved by a list? And they go, I've never had one wife that said yes. But see, there's this relationship. What is the motive for serving? There's another motive that I think God is calling us to. And I want to put up, it's in the form of a quote, a second motive. That's different than a list. And here's what it said. Our primary ministry, serving each other, is to proclaim and demonstrate the great and overflowing love of God to everyone first to the community of believers, and then to the world out there. Father, I have given them my glory so that they could become one, so that they might demonstrate our oneness to each other and the world out there. And our oneness, recognize, is God's love within the Trinity, the nature of God, that God is love. See, serving each other and becoming one in that serving each other is reflecting the Trinity. A little heavier. But we keep thinking that serving is about duty, just to to make us mature in Christ. And I go, it's much deeper than that. God has made us important. He's, he's given us his glory so that we could become one and represent God to this world. Now, what I find is when you go after this passage, people don't like the idea that Jesus actually gives us glory. That he thinks, in one sense, thinks much of us. Because it feels like we're elevating ourselves beyond what we should be. It doesn't feel humble. It feels arrogant to think that Jesus would actually give us his glory. But here's what we, I think we need to understand. The purpose of him giving us glory is not about ourselves again. We need his glory so that we can become a people that are representing and bear the image of God. We're image bearers of God, a God who loves this world. We now are to represent and reveal him to the world out there. And we begin to love each other deeply, to begin to serve each other. Let me give you the application to fill in that blank there for you. As we grow in serving each other, we begin to become God's instruments of love. When we become one, when we grow, when we when we move to in Christ, and I think back to that night of Kids Rock, 
God was beginning to work in some of those young children that they were becoming instruments of God's love. And when we grow in community, our love keeps expanding and growing and our serving becomes more rich and, and it becomes more fuller. So we're demonstrating the love of God to people within the church and it even goes out there to the world. It really, the summary, one of the summary passages, I think, is 1 John. I'm going to put it on the screen here because it really is kind of the, the summary statement of who God is and where we need to go. Look how it reads. This is from the message. My beloved friends, let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love, and I would even put in there serve, doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. This is how God showed his love for us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You know, there we look and go, he served us first. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away the sins and the damage that they've done to our relationship with God. My dear friends, if God loves us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. Do you feel the weight of that? That God is pouring his life into his son and the son pours his life into us. We receive his glory and all of a sudden we can begin to love like God loves. And our love becomes a sign to the even unbelievers that we are followers of Christ. The glory he gave us is now called to love each other deeply to become one, to love beyond the walls of the church, to love those people everywhere that we come in contact with. We need to realize this journey, though, of serving and worshiping God is changing our motives. See, we need new motives for why we do what we do. So he's given us glory to become one so that we could love each other. But you stop and ask the question, what keeps us from this? What can hold us back? And I, I, I thought of a couple things here. The first one, I, I said it this way. It's the failure to see our own consuming self-love. You understand, the deepest form of sin is self-love. It's a, it's a root of selfishness that life needs to be centered around me. And the opposite, serving is about a cost. Time, energy, money. But I think when you think of the Acts 2 church and, you, and then you look forward to the church in 2015, for us, we're so busy. Our lives are, are, are so, in one sense, filled with everything that we want convenience to serve one another, to love each other, care about each other. And we get trapped and go, but God, it's going to take too much time, too much energy. It's not convenient for me and my family and my marriage. But I think when we think like that, and I'm guilty of it, 
You can't really cut it any other way. It says, but that attitude is really comes from self-love, focusing on my needs, my wants. But we need a new motive. God, help us become an instrument so other people can know the love of God. We did an assessment last Wednesday night for Kids Rock, and um, one of the pieces that came out of there is we need almost double the amount of leadership of adults working in, in that ministry so we can be more effective being a servant to those kids who come on Wednesday night. And guess what? It takes time, money, and energy. you got to fill up, put money in your gas tank to come. I told this to the leaders on Wednesday night as we talked, and it's personally, it's one of my frustrations, probably for the last 15 years, is that at times there's this default and people believe that having the right program, the right Bible study, the right marriage class, the right whatever, is that that's really what transforms people. And here's the hard reality. People disciple people. See, God doesn't give glory to a particular class or a Bible study. He gives glory to people. Why? Because he wants to use people. God has given us the glory so that we can be used in helping people know and experience the love of God. A child, maybe, a youth, an adult. It's why the Great Commission, go make disciples. It's about us individually as people to start pouring our lives into the lives of people. But we need to realize that oneness can actually begin to take place when we do it together, when we serve together. God pours it into a church and the ministry goes out and people's lives change, and they get to experience God. But there's another reason, I think, why we don't serve well. Number two, I think it's this. Sometimes it's the failure to embrace the union that we have in Christ. We, we, we don't catch, we don't embrace what it means that we have the Holy Spirit within us that he's pouring his glory into us and that we can make a difference. And, and we kind of go like this, but God, I'm such a hypocrite. I'm a sinner. I'm an unworthy Christian. Why would you want to use me? I can't serve. I don't have any abilities. I'm not gifted in this area. But then you have to back up and go, what's true? God has given us glory so that we could be used by God to reveal God even though we're not fully changed, we're not there yet. See, I think we want to wait for perfection until we begin serving and ministering to people. And Jesus goes, no, I'm going to use that to change you, to help you become a better lover toward people. Now, do we excuse sin in our lives? The answer is no, not at all. Because I think when we begin to serve him out of worship, when we make much of him, 
What ends up happening is that God gives us this desire to want to please Him, not us. And when we want to please Him, we begin to deal with our own sin more and more. See, it's because He has given us glory, God works. And I think we underestimate the power of serving in community and how it leads to oneness. We underestimate how serving can be transforming in our own hearts. We jump in and sometimes God uses those things as we serve the body of Christ and he, he, he changes us from the inside out. And he impacts people. Deanna and I got married in, in 1976 and we started attending a church in St. Cloud. I was still in college there finishing up a degree and there was a couple in our church, an older couple, you know, they were probably somewhere in their late 50s or so. They were, okay, I'm 60, so some of you caught that joke, but they were the Campbells. And the Campbells were deeply invested in that church. He was in administration in the college, and I remember he invited me even to have coffee, and he reached out to me. But they were a couple who were committed to serve the kingdom of God. And what they decided is that what they could do was start by gathering a bunch of young couples together and eating together and having fun together and playing games together. And I'm guessing that group grew to probably 15 to 20 couples at that time, plus kids on top of that. And the Campbells, they loved us. But they knew that God wanted to use them. They offered their lives and their possessions back to God for the benefit of others. They lived like that Acts 2 church. And Deanna and I and a one-year-old son was the beneficiaries of that love. But in doing so, they embraced an important application here in this area of serving. They, they knew a principle, and for your notes, I said it this way, it's an application principle. We are called to model Christ and become an initiator in serving and loving people. See, at times I think we step back and we wait. Folks, that wasn't the Acts 2 church. They didn't just step back and go, well, I'll just wait till somebody asks me or I'll, you know, until some committee gets started so that they're going to meet needs of people. There was no structures. Deacons came in a little bit later and it was pretty specifically to take care of the widows that they didn't get overlooked as well. But the, the structures weren't there in, in terms of forming a group to serve, to love people. See, they began, they just started worshiping Christ together. They responded to Christ's love, and all of a sudden they're giving away their time, their energy, their money, their resources to care for each other. They loved each other. They became one in Christ. They looked up. They looked around, they looked at needs, and they listened. Their acts of serving impacted 
that early church, and it started the roots of an explosion. Their oneness started an explosion into the world. Matter of fact, I want to put a verse 47 from Acts 2 on the screen. Look what it reads. Here they're, they're serving each other, they're worshiping together, and praising God. And they're having favor with all people. And this incredible statement, and the Lord added to their number day by day, not month by month or year by year. People were seeing what was going on in this church and people were going, I want that. And people were coming in and they were meeting and hearing about Jesus, the one that, who had died and was raised from the dead and that you can have now life because of Jesus. And people were responding day by day and they were coming into that church and that church grew quickly and intensely. It was thousands of people in just a matter of a short period of time. You see, as we worship God, as we serve each other, as we become one, God works. He changes us. He changes the world around us. That's what we need to do. Let's stand and pray.